and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC focused podcast from The Athletic. Each week we bring you the latest blues news, reviews and previews. On today's episode we're looking back on a comfortable home win against moderate opposition. Seriously we are. We'll also examine Andreas Christensen, metaphorically. We'll look ahead to Newcastle, answer your questions and reveal our latest cult hero. All that and a little bit more in this episode of Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, hello again, listener. Nice to have your company. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Each and every week, me and my pals get together to talk about Chelsea. It's ever so much fun. Simon Johnson has been given another week to get back to full fitness. So with me today are Liam Toomey and Dom Fifield. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Unconfirmed as to whether it's a muscle injury. We, we don't quite know what's wrong with him. Schedules, schedules. Look at the schedules. Plenty to come on today's show, but we'll start with Burnley being bossed at the bridge. So it finished Chelsea 3, Burnley 0 on Saturday. Jorginho, brackets P, close brackets. Abraham and Hudson-Odoi with the goals. Uh, Liam, you were there. Was it as comfortable as the scoreline suggests? Well, there were moments when it could have gone a very different way. I mean, you had the Burnley set-piece goal, which was initially flagged offside, but was probably millimetres away from getting overruled by VAR. Uh, and then you had Ross Barkley clearing a header off the line as well. So there were a couple of moments where it could have become another one of those home games. And Burnley set up very similarly to West Ham, Bournemouth, Southampton. Same sort of game plan, defending deep, giving Chelsea the wings. The difference for me was that Rhys James was playing. And that particularly down the right-hand side, Callum Hudson-Odoi and, and Rhys James really uh, ripped Burnley to shreds. And, and you actually had a level of quality coming on the deliveries that Chelsea haven't had in recent home games. And in the end, I think that made the difference. And actually, Dom, that's a partnership we've not spoken about too much. We saw it against Forest last week, but there's been a lot of talk about Mount and Abraham in particular, having played with one another since they were children, which was I don't know, a year ago. Um, but James and Hudson-Odoi is another potential partnership that Frank Lampard and Gareth Southgate will probably both be looking Absolutely at. right. And uh, how encouraging it was to, to see in, in, in evidence on, on, on Saturday. Um, look, James, I mean, Liam said on numbers, number of occasions on the, on this podcast how he is probably the best crossover football at the club. Um, and we saw evidence of that as well. Uh, admittedly, that Abraham Header was probably a bit fortunate. A, the shove was ignored by the referee and the VAR, but also that the header went in at all. I mean, it took a, must have taken a vicious spin off the turf to, to it get It was in. really weird. I didn't understand in real time how it went in. Very slow and motion, there, wasn't it? The only thing I can think of is there must have been some sort of communica- miscommunication between Nick Pope and the defender. That they left it for each other, and in the end, neither of them went for it because that header wasn't well-placed enough or firm enough to, to get in of its own accord. But there, there might have also been an element of um, Chelsea getting a little bit of luck that they'd lacked in at home so far this season. I wrote a piece last week saying that Chelsea's XG at home was 22.21. So they were expected to score 22 goals this season at home, which would have been third in the Premier League behind City and Liverpool. No, Would have been no story there. They'd only scored 11, which even if you account for bad finishing, inconsistent young players and stuff, was unsustainably bad, I think. it was The, the luck was going to change at some point and maybe Burnley was the start of that happening. Fingers crossed. And combinations are important within teams, as you say. If James and Hudson-Odoi can sort of, yeah, can, can create, create a, a threat down that, that flank and an understanding, a relationship, then that just adds to to Chelsea's armoury. There's still a bit of a slightly clunk, clunky nature about it all in as much as it's 
Azpi, who's gone over to the other side now, um, as almost his first choice over Emerson, uh, Alonso being injured at the moment. And we, we're, we're seeing a glimpse of potentially Chelsea's future on the right. What is happening on the left? Where, where are we going with well, that? We're seeing a short-term compromise, yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's an imbalance, isn't it? Though? Once Chelsea sign a left-back, which likely won't happen this month, but at the end of the season, then Lampard will have a really interesting decision to make because I think it's already at the stage where Rhys James has to play all of these home games at the very least. These home games where teams are going to sit back and concede the wide areas to Chelsea. You've seen from what Liverpool have done over the last two, three years, the importance of having fullbacks that can not just ping crosses aimlessly into the box, but deliver with real quality, pick out people. Um, because teams can't take everything away from you. They can take away maybe the middle of the pitch, they can swarm your striker, they can maybe try and nullify your wingers, but not many teams can take out your fullbacks as well. So it's a, it's an additional weapon that top teams need. There was a there were incidents in the, the start of the game on Saturday where he was caught in possession a couple of times and there have been defensive frailties there. Do you think we're at a situation now where he, as you say, he plays the home games, but maybe given some of the trickier nature of the away games coming up, that, that that's when Azpilicueta goes to the right again and we see Emerson or Marcus Alonso on the left? Potentially. I think it's maybe more just about who the opponent is, regardless of whether it's home or away, because I think opponents will, will set up a certain way against Chelsea, a lot of them, whether they're at home or away. Um, Reese James there will be a certain element of him having to be allowed to play through his mistakes. He can be a little bit impetuous at times. His positioning can be off at certain times and he was caught on the ball at least once in a dangerous area, which I'm sure Lampard won't be too happy about. But he gives you so much on the other end and, and, and he gives a balance and a width to Chelsea's attack that I think outweighs the risks that you run the other side. On the other the other player in this combination, hudson Adoy, it's just been... It's it's been a bit of a relief to see him sort of recapture the form that he showed in flashes last season in the last and few finally games. Finally, get a Premier League goal. Exactly, and I was amazed that that was the case as well. That, that passed me by because he he did actually score a few goals last season. I yeah, think. he saved them I all for the Europa, Europa League, yeah. League mainly. Yeah, but look, he's a player of huge, huge potential um, for club and country. A player that they've staked a lot on at Chelsea. We we mentioned it last week that the contract they gave him has really shifted the whole mentality of that academy and, and the players coming through that think they've got a chance in the first team. They'll be asking for terms that are equivalent or to match what Callum Hudson-Odoi now, now earns. So he's set a standard and he's got to live up to that. So to see him you know, revelling last week against Nottingham Forest, albeit Forest from the Championship, uh, not even their first team, it was reassuring to see him do that against a, what has been an awkward and stubborn Burnley defence when they've played at Stamford Bridge in recent years. Mm. Felt like a big win also, Liam, not just because Chelsea had lost to Bournemouth and Southampton and West Ham when they were all struggling, but because the next three home Premier League games are Arsenal, Man United and Spurs. So it was actually really important to get three points in this match because otherwise you start to go into those games looking at the home record and thinking this is what's going to hamstring the bid to get in the Champions League next season. Yeah, definitely. And if you look beyond those next three, the, th the three after that, excluding potential FA Cup fifth round opponents, are Everton, Bayern Munich and Manchester City. So it doesn't get any easier for Chelsea at home. Now you could flip that around, say having teams that will come to Stamford Bridge and maybe play outside their own half a little bit could actually suit Chelsea. But it, it, you definitely need to bolster the confidence with games like these. That's what games like these are for, really. And uh, and they have the potential to go the other way if you were on a run 
like the way Chelsea were, were on. And uh, and I think particularly on Hudson-Odoi, it's really important for Chelsea to see him starting to get a measure of confidence now that we know that Christian Pulisic could be out for several weeks with injury because Pulisic had tailed off a little bit over the festive period after a really hot streak of about five or six games. And I think they, as long as they have one of them firing and Willian reasonably consistent on the other side, they'll be OK. Uh, but but for the for the long term, for Hudson-Odoi's confidence coming back from that injury, uh, cementing himself as a, as a pillar that Chelsea will be building around for the long term, I think that Burnley game was important. So that result means that Chelsea picked up back-to-back wins for the first time in all competitions since October. Uh, the Blues stay fourth, five points ahead of Manchester United. Next up today, onward Christensen Soldier. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names, up and coming designers and exclusive brands you won't find anywhere else. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now that's s-t-i-t-c-h-f-i-x.co.uk forward slash athletic so i want to have a chat about andreas christensen uh, who simon wrote about in his piece last week on saturday christensen given his first league start since everton in early december we've had a tweet from stephen adams asking do you think christensen answered his critics on saturday conversely andrew turner says is a clean sheet against a dreadful burnley side really enough to make us forget christensen running away from the ball at everton because he was afraid of physical contact there's a reason why frank dropped him for a month uh, he's a divisive figure it would seem yeah and we shouldn't um, forget how Cowdy looked at Goodison Park. However, you know, they're not shrinking violets, Burnley's front line. Um, they may not have tested him to the extent that they needed to, but phys- physically speaking, that was a challenge at the weekend. I mean, you know, whether it's Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes or, or, or Rodriguez, they, they are they're awkward opponents. Yeah, I think Chris Wood got his nose splatted early on. That might have taken a little bit of the edge off him in terms of those aerial battles. That's that's to Christensen's benefit. I think the jury's still out on on Christensen. Um, we all remember the sort of the impression that he made in that second season under Conte, and and he really stepped into the breach left by David Luiz, and 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 looked, you know, a, a, a player that. That Chelsea thought they they were developing it. Munchen Gladbach and 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 had made huge strides in the in the Bundesliga with regular first team football. Played in the Champions League, done exceptionally well, and 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 really sort of slotted into that Conte team um, in that back three, and 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 looked, you know, at the future of Chelsea's back line. And then it's it went awry uh, under Sarri, 
Their injuries play their part as well, didn't they? In there, he played in the Europa League in virtually every yeah, game. In fact, yeah. he did play in every game, I think. But Premier League, he just didn't seem to fancy him, Sarri. Yeah, well, I mean, Sarri had a Premier League team and a European team, mm. didn't he? And I th- he very rarely deviated Mappily, from that. Wasn't it, the European team? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even in even in Christensen's sort of breakthrough season under Conte, I remember interviewing him around the turn of that year, and he was saying he was already finding it difficult physically playing his first season without a winter break, and I remember about a week or two after that interview, he got injured, which I'm, I'm not claiming credit for or otherwise. But um, clearly his his body, there remain questions over whether it is can stand up to the rigours of not just the Premier League season, but individual games, the kind of bruising number nines that you'll come up against. But the other elements of his game are all there. He's a really tactically intelligent defender. He reads danger. He's got good timing in the tackle. And he's better on the ball than any of Chelsea's other centre-backs. And I think that's the potential that Lampard really sees in him. And I wasn't surprised to see him starting against Burnley because Lampard went really strong to bat for him in his Friday press conference, surprisingly so, actually, given that he hadn't played him in a while. And having done that, he kind of had to give him a chance afterwards. And, you know, there were circumstances that maybe made it easier than otherwise in that game, but it's something for Christensen to build on. And I think Lampard may well give him a run of games now to show that he can he can be a, a Premier League defender and, and a long-term pillar of Chelsea. But would you would, would you look at Christensen at Newcastle? If Newcastle play, played Andy Carroll from the start, would you look at that and be confident that he would he would step up to that challenge? It's... It's a tricky one, but I think I think you have to give him the chance if you want to answer that question definitively. Obviously, you didn't get the answer you wanted against Everton, but I also thought Kurt Zuma had trouble with uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin against Everton. There's nothing wrong with Zuma physically. I think there was a problem with Chelsea as a team being too passive that day. And when Christensen is passive, it looks worse because he's not the most imposing figure either. But I think I think it, a lot of it is about aggression and timing, and he and he can. He does exhibit those things at times. It's just about consistency, and and some, maybe that will come with rhythm and confidence. Yeah, and also it's worth remembering that he's twenty three, which is nothing for a centre half. Absolutely right, and yeah, we we are getting carried away with the the number of youth team players that are graduating into the Chelsea first team this season, and we shouldn't forget that Christensen is still at an early stage in his own career. Um, for all that he's got international experience and has played uh, in the Bundesliga as well, there's still load of potential to be tapped in him um it's just a matter of yes yeah, a manager having confidence in his ability and it's, it's funny because we, we've we've looked at the transfer market with Chelsea this month and we've we've sort of linked them with various centre-halves Nathan Aki probably the most persuasively but they've actually got quite a lot of options at centre-back um even if they're playing three at the back I mean there, there are four there at the very least you look at five of you and count Aspilicueta as someone who can cover is it necessarily an area they need to strengthen this month or would they be better of waiting till the summer to, to plan perhaps a bit more forensically as to what happens next? Well, I think all four Lampard likes or at least he sees things in them that he likes individually. The problem is that I don't think Lampard has found a combination Absolutely. that he trusts yet. Yeah, uh, the left centre-back position in particular is a little bit of an issue because all of those guys are right-footed. They've been linked with Nathan Ake, obviously, who who has... Again, a little bit like Christensen, really, a lot of those sort of technical qualities, but there are doubts about him in the air and generally in terms of his physical capabilities. But the combination really is is so much of what makes a defence stand or fall. And, and 
you might have defenders that you like individually, but if they can't work together, then that's a problem you've got to figure out. I, I'm not sure it's a question Lampard's going to answer this season definitively. I think he'll continue to mix and match week to week in search of what works best or just who's in form at any given time. Good stuff. Right, next up, we'll open the mailbag. Okay, we don't actually have a mailbag, I should just say. It's 2020, and I'm not actually sure what the address of the building is either, so don't bother posting something. Best way to do it is via Twitter. You can uh, contact any of us at any time, and uh, we'll get to the best of them. Shubham Shah did. His question is a two-parter. He wants to know, first of all, come to you on this one, Dom, how good is the relationship between the board and Frank compared with other managers? I mean, the assumption is it's much better yeah, I, I, I haven't hadn't heard any noises that there were any issues on that front. I think they knew when they appointed Frank Lampard that they were, they were appointing a manager, in, you know, whose his coaching career is in an embryonic stage still, one year in the Championship behind him, but a manager that, that carries a lot of kudos with with Chelsea's support and means he's an iconic figure at the club, someone that they obviously respect and trust, and uh, you know he's addressed a lot of the challenges that have been flung at him in this first year in the job and uh, obviously the, the the transfer assume recruitment has maybe come at him slightly earlier than initially anticipated um and he's having to to do that now and and, and i imagine there's a there's an element of anxiety around around him um and and what he wants and how he goes about getting it because it's all new to him at this level for, for that and you know there's 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 still question marks on 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 that front but he's he's a he's a head coach that's learning all the time um, he is still someone that, that has, I think he's surpassed expectations given where Chelsea are in the league and where the fact they've qualified in the Champions League as well. We know the demands of the board are still to, to be challenging for silverware. He knows that as well. The FA Cup is a potential route to silverware for Chelsea this season. I think I think Chelsea, Chelsea managers usually have more of a shelf life than, than Sarri had, uh, generally speaking. And even Conte lasted... You know, there, there was it was twelve months in before relations with the board suddenly became an issue, so it's still early days with with Frank. We, we, we'd have to go back back to Vias Boas and Scolari, I guess, before you're talking about a manager whose, whose relationship is unravelled within the first twelve months of his tenure. Um, and uh, I think things are still in a pretty healthy state at the moment. Liam, the second part of the question kind of links into the first: Will there be a signing this window? As, as you understand it, has Lampard got a clear? list of his own targets or is it say Marina Granovskaya and whoever's looking after the scouting side of things saying look we've got this list of players that we had from before you came would you like any of them? Well it's always a collective effort and a, and a dialogue at Chelsea the head coach has a voice but it's not necessarily the decisive one or the final one and uh, you know when he's having these discussions he's having them with Marina Granovskaya Petacek will have a, a seat at the table even if it's only sort of advising um, you've got Scott McLaughlin head of international scouting who plays a big role as well and Chelsea have got longer term club targets when you see them getting linked to someone like Moussa Dembele it's someone that they've been watching for a long time you know they, they were looking at him when he was in Fulham's academy and then they kept tabs on him when he was at Celtic as well so uh, there will be a combination and occasionally it, there may be an overlap in terms of a player that Lampard likes and a, and a player that the club likes and then it's all harmonious. When when there's uh, disagreements, then you can get a Conte-Sarri situation but I don't. I think that's less likely to happen with Lampard because going back to the first part of that question, there's a calm away from the pitch at the moment that you don't often see at Chelsea and I think it's because 
they haven't had a, a head coach in a long time who knows, who appreciates the value of managing relationships with the players, with the board, with the fans. Um, one of those boxes has always been unticked by by previous coaches, even ones that have come in with far loftier reputations than Lampard. So in answer to the transfer question, I think they'll probably do one deal. I, uh, that would be the likeliest outcome, I think. I think they want a striker um, and Olivier Giroud will then be allowed to leave. But I don't think they're going to be pushed into doing anything in January because they also know Jack Pickbrook did a great piece on why it's really not worth anyone signing any anyone in January. Um, they know what a difficult market this is, so they will go for quality rather than quantity, and if there's no good deals to be done, they won't do them. Uh, Grant James wants to know, with a very tough and busy schedule ahead, Pedro, Michi, etc. will be needed. Why zero minutes on Saturday? In terms of Pedro and Batshuayi, they're in no form. That's probably a big factor in it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised at the lack of substitutions against Burnley. And I actually asked Lampard in the huddle about it afterwards. And and I thought it would be because Chelsea had a week going in and a week to recover, which is unusual at this time of year. But he actually said it was because they were playing so well, he didn't think any of the players would want to be taken off, which I, I guess is is fair enough. It's, it's an unusual rationale for a manager to take. Batshuayi has done nothing since score against Ajax in Amsterdam. But there's also the argument that a game like that might be the one to help play play his way into form. For well, Forrest should have been that last week. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and that he's shown very few signs, whether he's been starting or coming off the bench, of doing anything. And that, that I think, is feeding into Chelsea's urgency to look for a striker in this window because they know Giroud wants to leave and all available evidence suggests they can't trust Batshuayi. So Abraham is played consistently well even when he's not scored his all-round production has been very good but they know that if he has a dip at some stage or worse if he gets an injury they could be in big trouble mm, but it's not a case Tom I don't think of if Lampard doesn't fancy you then you won't play because no. you, you look at Ross Barkley coming back into the team Absolutely. for example yeah, and he's done brilliantly for the last two games and you know he's in danger of reviving his Chelsea career yet again <laughs> um, uh, why. I, th- I think they've circulated his name to clubs and said, if you come up with the cash, you can have him. The uh, problem is the price attached. <laughs> yeah, but I I do look at that and, and and wonder whether that will remain the same in the last week of the window. I mean, I know £45 million has been mentioned. I, th- I suspect that come the end of the window, that, that price will have come down. A lot will depend, as you say, about them bringing in uh, replacements and finding somebody that they can get. But it wouldn't surprise me if if they manage to prize Amusa Dembele away. I know that we've had all the the noises from Jean-Michel Ola. Um, Leon sell at the right price. I don't think Leon's price for Dembele is going to change dramatically in January to to June. Uh, I, realistically, they've had a pretty dire season in the league. Um, okay, they're still in the Champions League, and they're, but they're not going to win that. Um, I just wonder whether... There may be a bit of movement on that that might surprise people in what remains of the window. And, and that actually bringing in a player like a Dembele um, might actually allow Batshuayi to, to go. And I think although he has been, he's vehemently and, and, and consistently said, that I want to stay at Chelsea and I want to play at Chelsea. He's not. He's not playing. He's playing the old FA Cup game and he's looking rusty and that. The reality is this is a player that wants to be playing at Euro 2020 for Belgium. He needs regular first-team football over the remainder of the campaign. 
So come February the 1st, let's let's see where we are. I, I suspect he will have moved on. The other question Chelsea have to answer when looking at potential strikers in January is uh, how good is Tammy Abraham long term? You know, is this like a Harry Kane trajectory where he's your nailed on starting striker for the next five to ten years? Is he, he's clearly a, good enough to be a Chelsea player for a long time, but is he more of a rotation player? Um, is he long term a backup if you want you know, the next great Chelsea team that's challenging for the Champions League? And I think, you know, you don't necessarily know. You've got six months of really good Premier, Premier League production, but it's still quite a small sample size. And the thing that would give Chelsea the greatest encouragement is the advances he's made in his hold up play, his link up play. He looks a lot more now like a modern number nine at a top club but that's the question they have to answer definitively because that conditions what type of player you're looking for but they don't need to answer that if they were p- to pursue Moussa Dembele because they're very different types of players um, and, and if if they come the summer if they say at the end of this window they've signed Dembele and they've got Abraham and they've let Giroud and, and Batshuayi go um, they can still address the you know whether how, how good is Tammy Abraham issue in the summer, which is when, let's be honest, that's probably when they're likelier to do a big deal mm. uh, and to do a deal they're, they're perfectly comfortable with um, financially. I, I, I just, I look at Abraham and just, he's unrecognisable from what he was. I mean, you go back to the year at Swansea when he made his England debut that season. Um, he, 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 what he's doing now is revelatory. And just, even even last season at, at Aston Villa, he, he missed a load of chances in that team. He he would miss so many opportunities, and yeah, he got twenty odd goals. A lot of them were penalties, but he he, he got goals because in the championship at a, a team that was challenging for promotion, he, they created a lot of chances. This year, he's he's brought a clin- uh, he's far more clinical. His hold up play is is getting better and better by the week, um, and he he just looks. You're now talking him realistically as. Somebody that could stand in for for Kane for England at a major. It looks tournament. like he will be the guy. He could potentially be in in the March internationals, certainly. Although I think Marcus Rashford may have something mm. to say about that. But I, I just think it's it's brilliant. And, and of all of all the progress of all the players, and, and Mason Mount, you know what? I don't think there's a there's an English player in the in the recent England, England squad that's actually started more made more appearances this season than Mason Mount, uh, which is. It shows you how how well he's done, but Abraham, you look at him and think, well, there's a player that's been reborn. He's actually proved people wrong. That people that wrote him off, he isn't a Premier League player. Well, he is, and he can get better and better. Yeah, and part of that, of course, credit goes to his coaches who are supposedly well, they're not supposedly they are very inexperienced, but they clearly know what they're doing. Uh, finally, Kevin wants to know what's the latest with the stadium development. Should we be concerned? Having seen the recently published financials, it's clear that boosting attendance will be a huge factor in the sustainability of Chelsea, especially in these times where Champions League football is no longer a given. Um, Liam, nothing's happening, is it? Stanford Bridge is staying as is for the foreseeable. The news is there's no news. Um, the planning approval lapses in March. They had three years to put a spade in the ground, as it were, and, and also start demolishing the buildings around Stamford Bridge. And, and unless they do that, unless they begin that process, then they have to apply all over again, as and when Roman Abramovich decides that the stadium redevelopment can be resumed. And it, and it's it's a worryingly open question for Chelsea as a club right now. And, it, and it's... It's the single biggest question, really, in terms of how sustainable they can be as one of Europe's truly elite clubs going forward. Because you've got Premier League rivals, ostensibly smaller clubs, 
you know, in the modern age like Everton, who are going to be playing in big stadium, bigger stadiums soon. Um, and even the process that we were looking at for the new Stamford Bridge would have required four seasons away playing at Everton, so th- uh, playing at Wembley, sorry. So this this was already going to be an odyssey that Chelsea fans weren't really uh, reveling the prospect of, and it's just being postponed and postponed to the point where it's fair to ask if it will ever happen. Mm, probably quicker to get to Everton from Stamford Bridge than it is to Wembley a lot of the time, to be fair. Is it is it that big a deal, Dom, do you think? I, I, match day revenue, obviously you hear about the figures that clubs like Arsenal generate from their match day revenue, and it's impressive, but it's still dwarfed by overseas TV rights and that kind of thing. It, you can still be competitive without it. Yeah, and, and that was the argument that was... Sort of the, the PR argument that was put to us when the when the, the plans were shelved um, about eighteen months back, whenever it was, um, maybe they're not quite as reliant upon it now as they once were. And it's not as if they're playing in an antiquated stadium. I mean, Stamford Bridge is still a, a great arena um, with excellent um, commercial uh, facilities in terms of the the boxes, etc. Uh, so they 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 can sustain themselves at that at, at the level they're at at the moment. Um, maybe not quite as relevant as it as it once was, but it'd be interesting to see how they. Let's look at Tottenham for example. I mean, Tottenham slightly different in terms of the ownership, I guess, and how they would fund how they have funded their their stadium. But potentially, it might. It, we're told it might hamper the transfer plans. It might. It might deny them the chance to offer the wages that would make them competitive at the elite level and, and in the meantime Chelsea can spend that money and they they can offer the players the wages so I suppose you just sort of you know what you're taking from one hand you're, you're giving with the other. The issue with the stadium though is it's not just the, the fact that it's match day revenue is that it bleeds into everything else your commercial agreements can be more valuable you can sell naming rights. Um, but Spurs haven't done that yet have they? Yeah, exactly. That, that's but, true. But that's why it's called the Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, <laughs> there's way too far. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's certainly a holding like, pattern, yeah, isn't it? Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and the other element as well is that what we saw from those last financial results is that without Champions League football, Chelsea's revenues really do fall off and they are not a sustainable club at this level. Um, without regular Champions League football. Whereas if you have greater matchday revenue year on year, that can at least act as a bit of a safety net. You look at where Arsenal are, and Arsenal are in a, a pretty precarious position financially as a as an elite club going forward, but they'd probably be in an even worse state after three years out of the Champions League if they didn't have the pretty steady income from the Emirates Stadium. All right, we shall see. Uh, so this coming weekend, Chelsea had to Tyneside to take on Newcastle United. The Blues actually won at St James Park last season after failing to do so on their previous five visits. Uh, Dom, given Chelsea's away form, the fact that Newcastle are playing midweek, they've got a load of injuries, they've got no wins in five, it ought to be another away day success. Yeah, you'd, you'd like to think so. I, I, the, the injury situation at Newcastle is remarkable. Um, we, we, we cannot underestimate. They lost four players in a 20-minute period um, over the Christmas period, um, I think it was New Year's Day, four players just dropping like flies. In I mean, minutes. that's a quit and reload on football managers. <laughs> <it>? <laughs> but then to, to compound that, there was a period in the first half at the weekend where they'd lost two. They lost Dwight Gale to a hamstring. They lost Dummett to a groin. And then uh, Joe Linton started limping and they had Andy Carroll warming up on the sidelines to, to come on there before half time. And uh, I'm going to plug a piece mercilessly here, but the... The scheduling over Christmas for clubs of Newcastle's size with the s- squads that they have is brutal. 
I mean, it is absolutely. But look at the look at the teams that are struggling with injuries at the moment. Your your Bournemouth, Newcastle, Palaces, etc. Clubs that have a certain amount of they haven't got twenty five men in their squad. They've probably got seventeen, eighteen, realistically. And it takes one injury to knock them completely off kilter, um, and and it kills them. That schedule, that extra round of games on the twenty eighth and 29th has killed them. Um, Fifty five soft tissue injuries alone picked up in the Premier League over the festive period and I think we, we did a calculation at the Athletic and it was over when you when you throw in your ACLs etc which I think Villa had two in one game over Christmas as well and I always thought that was a freak injury that you picked up an ACL injury you know with a dodgy fall but actually it's to do with the fatigue in your quads and your landing how you land players are knackered and, and the, it's affecting those clubs most of all so for Chelsea even the Chelsea with you know where their squad is at the moment with a load of young players to be playing Newcastle at this time of year is a godsend and that is three points waiting to happen mm. um, and Liam Dom says that that Newcastle are knackered Chelsea might be pretty tired too but as you said they had a free week before Burnley they've got a free week this week does that mean therefore that we aren't going to see Pedro or Bashwai or Olivier Giroud it's going to be the starting 11 that we've come to expect I think Lampard's going to prioritise trying to maintain momentum and he'll also be mindful of the fact that Bournemouth had about nine players out when they came to Stamford Bridge and still managed to win. So there, there's no such thing as a, as a total gimme. Um, and especially the way you would imagine a depleted Newcastle will set up will be quite similar to some of the, te- the way teams have set up at Stamford Bridge recently. But I think he will play his strongest available team. I think he'll allow people like Callum Hudson-Odoi the opportunity to build on recent momentum as well. And, uh, and, and Chelsea you know, need need as many points they can get at this stage of the season. They've done well to get to this point with a five point lead over Manchester United and Tottenham and Arsenal obviously a lot further back. Um but this is the defining stretch of the season. Now you've got the Champions League coming up again as well. Um so you want to you want to pile as many Premier League points on the board as well before other competitions come back in. Uh, elsewhere amongst the various other Chelsea teams this past weekend, Emma Hayes' women's side made it back-to-back wins on their return from the winter break. They came from behind to wallop Bristol City 6-1. They're third in the table, four points behind leaders Arsenal, but with a game in hand on both them and Manchester City, who are second. Uh, the development squad have played a couple of league games since last we spoke. I commentated on an absolute stinker away at Spurs last Monday, settled in Chelsea's favour by a fantastic late goal from Armando Broja, who's one to watch. Albanian under-21 international can play as a central striker or wide in a three. Uh, Andy Meyer's team then followed that up with a 2-1 win against Man City at Older Shot on Saturday. Tarek Awakwe and an own goal getting the job done there. Uh, the under-23s top of PL2, as it's called, and they're still unbeaten in the league as well. The under-18s, though, slipped to a first league loss this term, beaten 2-1 at West Ham. They're still top of their league, and they play Bradford in the fourth round of the FA Youth Cup on Wednesday this week. That's the 15th of January. Right, we're heading towards full time, but before we go, we can reveal this week's Colts hero. Duff bent it in, and it's gone right the way through from Damien Duff. Manchester United are undone by a sweeping free kick from the Irishman, and Chelsea are back in the driving seat in the quest to reach the Carling Cup final. So this week we picked Damien Duff, former Chelsea and, of course, Newcastle player. The Irishman signed for the Blues from Blackburn for £17 million in 2003. He left for Newcastle three years later, having made 125 appearances, scoring 19 goals, winning two Premier League titles and the League Cup. Signed by Claudio Ranieri... 
but Liam, it was Jose Mourinho who really helped develop his game. Yeah, and, and, and I think um, if you ask Duff, he would say the same. I think he still speaks very positively of, of what Mourinho did for him now when he does interviews, which isn't very often. Um, but it, it's funny, hearing you recount those stats, I thought he scored more goals for yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, I did as well. And, it, and it's because I have in my head those swashbuckling performances when it was him dovetailing with Ian Robin, And you forget how short that period of time was, but there was about a period of four or five months in that first Premier League title winning season when they really did look unstoppable and and they added a new dimension to what was already an incredible defensive unit that Chelsea had built um, and they added the the real flair and the the panache to uh, to to Mourinho's most dominant title team and and it was a shame really that Robin got injured uh, when he did and 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 Duff also had injuries towards the end of his Chelsea career that that robbed him maybe of the same sort of pace that he'd had. I, I still remember him being a good player at Fulham because I covered Fulham quite a lot at the time. Um, but he obviously never quite achieved the same sort of level. And um, it, But it was really good to see him reach that level at Chelsea while it lasted. And uh, I particularly remember he was a big part of that incredible performance at home to Barcelona where they were 3-0 up in, in half an hour and scored one of those goals. Yeah, he also scored uh, the winner five minutes from time at Old Trafford's second leg of the 05 League Cup semi-final. You, you think about it now, Dom, and, and Robin was was the glamour signing of, of the two and, and the one that Chelsea were going to build the team around, but Duff very much a Mourinho player in terms of his, his work rate. Robin was the one that they stole from Manchester United as well, wasn't it? So at the time, it was a, it was a real coup to get him. Um, that drew the focus. Um, Duff... I mean, look, my memories of, of, of Damien Duff were actually less of his time at, at Chelsea and more going back back further. And um, at Blackburn, I, I mean, I used to cover Merseyside um, and my sort of, I don't know, the release from the, the sort of slog of Everton and, and, and Liverpool was to go and watch Graham Souness's Blackburn um, up the road at Ewood Park. And that, that team had a load of cast-offs from, from the big clubs, Andy Cole and... Dwight York were playing up up front, and they had David, a young David Dunn on one side, who was pretty much a winger at the time, albeit one that played slightly narrower. Was this pre-Rabona David Dunn? Yeah. <laughs> but Duff was on the other side, and he just he they they would tear teams to pieces. I mean, they were a proper threat to to all comers at Ewood Park, and they they had Matt Janssen in reserve, etc. They had they had proper. It was a proper properly attractive attacking team, and Duff Duff really caught the eye, fleet-footed. He he torment fullbacks, and when he went to Chelsea, he, he, I think there were valid doubts initially that you know whether he would whether he would provide the industrious nature that that, that that Mourinho in particular expected of him. Okay, under Ranieri, he did quite well, but but he bought into it. He he bought into what Mourinho wanted him to do, and and you know Mourinho now particularly you know whenever you read about Mourinho now, I'm talking about his time at United and latterly. At, at Chelsea even potentially um it's all about oh it's all about work and defensive mindset and and structure to your team but but actually when they had Robin and Duff flying at people in that in that Chelsea tie they were they were good to watch and they 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 were thrilling to watch it was a thrilling side um admittedly born on a strong solid defensive foundation as well it was also slightly unusual because i think even now you don't see many teams with two left-footed wingers um, you obviously far more regularly see two right-footers coming in. 
Um, but they, they would switch every 10, 15 minutes, wouldn't they? And they had such a good understanding. I remember occasionally they would even both go onto the same side and really just overload teams. And while Robin had that explosion of pace and maybe a little bit more trickery, um, Duff just had the, the guile to be able to always get where he needed to go. And, and he was actually a very pretty clinical finisher when he got into the positions as well. He was a good team player, and I think it was easy to see why um, Mourinho really valued him in his early days. Damien Duff, this week's cult hero. We'll have another one next week. Uh, Don, what are you writing about this week? I'm, I've actually got two foreign trips this week. I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, going to France with a team from West London um, and then off to see Alan Pardew's start at Den Haag at the weekend. Wow, what a diverse week, <laughs> eh? Um, Liam, you're, you're waiting for the outcome of the latest Johnson fitness test to see whether you're going to Newcastle on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, at the moment it's scheduled to be him. So I'm, I'm very much a Danny Murphy at the, which to- England tournament was it that he was on standby for? Uh, O2, O2 World Cup. Yeah, O2, yeah. Was, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting, at the, waiting in the airport lounge. Just I'm, Actually, I'm not going to fly to Newcastle. Newcastle. <laughs> yeah, the, the least carbon friendly. Yeah, this week I'm hoping to do a piece on Rhys James, comparing him to Trent Alexander-Arnold and the sort of role of the modern fullback in, in, in really good teams. The joint read with, with Simon, if we can get him out of bed, is... Uh, um, the Kepa conundrum, as it were. How good actually is he? And we've managed to speak to some reasonably illustrious goalkeeping names about him. So looking forward to doing that one. And uh, later in the week, I'm going to try and be writing on Chelsea's campaign against anti-Semitism because there's, a, there's an event going on at Stamford Bridge this week. And if you've been to Stamford Bridge, you'll see there's some amazing artwork um, on the side of the stadium, which I'll be hopefully providing more context around. Sounds good. Uh, that's just about all we've got time for this episode. Remember, you can tweet any of us anytime with a Chelsea-related question. We'll discuss the best of them. Also, don't forget that The Athletic will be dropping a transfer daily pod every Monday to Friday in January, so keep an ear out for that too. Thanks for your company today. We'll catch up soon. Music.